You're about to get a serious beatdown. I will smash your face into a car windshield and then take your mother, Dorothy Mantooth, out for a nice seafood dinner and never call her again. Dorothy Mantooth is a saint. You understand me? Dorothy Mantooth is a saint. Interest rates are up and the market is tumultuous. And now more than ever, you need the best darn possible mortgage broker working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow, and you can reach him at 832-557-1095, or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. What makes Gabe so unique? Well, he's incredibly bright. He's a UT grad. He's got a law degree. He's been in the mortgage industry for over 20 years, and he is a true mortgage broker. What does that mean? It means he can shop for the best deal at over 80 different lenders and find you the terms that best suit you. Most mortgage guys you talk to won't reveal that they have exactly one size fits all for you and exactly one conduit to get your loan. If you are in these hyper competitive markets and you're in these markets that have frankly gotten a, less, a lot less friendly to the consumer, you need the best possible person working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. He has our full endorsement. You can reach him at 832-557-1095. Jade Barron getting nicked up a little bit reminded me of how vulnerable we are at nickel. Well, they say Gilbo played well though. Gilbo, Gilbo Baggins, the <laughs> top star. But we're talking yeah, about a true freshman. We're talking about a true freshman at nickel, which yeah. you're unlikely in 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 the season to leave him exposed on the island, right? I don't know. They have a, they have a few different ways they can play that. I don't really know what they. Uh, if if it comes to Taff, I don't think they're going to want to leave Taff on an island for sure. He seems like he's better underneath Gilbo. I, I don't know. Like um, you know, like in a in a man coverage, he uh, he has help in the middle from the safety, but not outside. So that can be kind of a tough gig, but mostly only against one throw, the slot fade. Um. Or they can zone it, and then he has plenty of help, but you're in zone. And he's got to be able to manage that, which I think that is tough as a freshman. So, I don't know. What do, what do you think? What are you thinking there? I think you'd have to cover him up, and you'd have to be pretty predictable, just like last year, which would be unfortunate. Bottom line is Jade Barron's more important than people perceive. I think he's really – I think guys like Jade Barron, Jalen Ford, uh, whoever the, the starting nose is, I think those guys are much more vital to the defense than, than people think just because of what – they're sort of the foundation, the base of the defense. And then you can start to do stuff off of them. You could start to blitz DeMarvian Overshone. You can start to – actually run loops and different stuff with your D line without a lot of fear that you're going to get exposed because you have this sort of solid base and, you know, Jade Barron being in there gives you unpredictability. You could, you could straight up put him in man coverage and tell him he's on an Island someplace and, and bring the house. And you can also obviously layer zone, you can mix up stuff. Um, and, you know, just from what I know about him, you know, we're talking about a guy who really hasn't had a ton of game action but what you see in the game action and what I've seen in spring games and also just from what I've heard, he's as laterally quick as any guy on the Texas team. 
and he's pretty good at baiting the quarterback. And that's uh, Texas defense has to turn the ball, has to turn offenses over to be successful. Ultimately, they have to be very opportunistic because they're not just going to be a let's play our base and, and dominate people. That's not happening. That's not even, I mean, they don't want to do that. They've, <laughs> you had fans last year that was like, why is this team playing too high? Why is this team playing too high? Sometimes in games where they weren't even playing too high, but they would stay too high as long as they could before rotating down. You mean, too, you mean too highs and too high safeties, not Ramont's Taylor? Why is he playing too high? <laughs> yeah, too high safeties. Got it. Yeah, they are uh, uh, back at Washington. Kwiatkowski was being pretty obvious single high with one safety like 20 yards back, you know, and the other one down. But uh, working with uh, Gideon and Joseph, they they will disguise their looks to the last minute. Um, I don't know. I, I'd be curious to hear where Gilbo is thriving and, and what kind of strengths he's showing because they, they did not have Barron in that scrimmage and apparently came out pretty well on defense. So I'd be curious to know what they asked of Gilbo there. Um, Taff is very good at all the disguising, which he has to be because, you know, if you catch him in the in the wrong matchup and the wrong leverage, then he'll just get beat. But um, he knows how to he knows how to play, you know, seventeen different coverages and disguises leverage and all that. So, yeah. So with Rashawn out, um. A lot of people are saying, hey, this is a great opportunity for Keelan Robinson. This is a great opportunity for 21 personnel with Bijan. Uh, Texas is going to have a lot of speed in the backfield. That's going to pose some issues. Do you think that that's a likely result? Or do you think this makes Texas more of a one-back team until Rashawn comes back? Oof, that's such a good question. I would have thought that their two back stuff would rely on Roshan as more of the um, the lunch pail guy, while Bijan got to move around and do the fun stuff. And Keelan Robinson and Jaden Blue are definitely the swing left and right and flex out kind of get to do the fun stuff kind of guys. Like the main lunch pail guy is the one that got hurt. So that would that would put me maybe in your camp of of questioning how much two back stuff they will use. Um, but they might just do it anyway because they might see that as an easy way to try to pick up some cheap free yardage of like um, just the same the same things you're talking about running with eleven personnel where you have lots of speedy receivers on the field and you're just creating horizontal stress. I wonder if Sark still uses two back formations and just starts swinging these smaller backs in and out, uh, even without steady Roshan in the middle, just as a different way to try to make defenses think, make them prepare and try to pick up free yards and easy reads and quick game concepts, you know? Yeah, I think the trouble with Keelan is he's well suited to the Bijan role, as you said. In, in 21 or single back personnel. Right. Uh, his fault is that he doesn't have as good a hands as Bijan or Roshan. And he's not a blocker. So he put on some weight. That's great. That's going to help his durability. He's going to be that much harder to tackle given his quickness. 
But if you can't pass protect and if you can't run block, then what you really are and you're not the best receiving option, then what like you're probably your role is as like a jet sweeper or a fly sweeper and you're doing some sort of action in the backfield with the two backs to get to draw attention, to draw linebacker uh, attention, to create some missed assignments. And then you're doing some kind of play action off of it because 21, you typically run the ball best. You, you can do it without a, you could do it with a traditional quarterback, but it gets really effective when the quarterback can run a little bit too. And you add some of the jet sweep, you know, fly sweep, and you have weird elements where also the quarterback can keep it um, reversing the other way, you know, whether that's a bootleg or keeping the ball and running. Um, I just, I just wonder if that's a fit. I think sometimes people view it as like a video game and just, we'll put fast guys out there and throw the ball. And it's like, well, you know, if, when you're running 21, one of those runners typically has to block or one of those, both of those runners need to be able to catch you know, really well. And Bijan catches and can run around at a high level. I don't know if we can say that about Keelan yet. I, I think he might be okay on just swings and checkdowns. Um, I feel like he's put some decent stuff on film there between a couple of games last year, like the spring game. He caught a lot of balls in the spring game, it seemed like. Yep. I mean, he's not – you don't want him doing, like, the hardcore Bijan things, like the flex out and run a skinny post. That's not going to happen. Um, they, you know, it's interesting. Both of those quarterbacks probably could execute that style. I think that would play more to Hudson Card's strengths. But Quinn Ewers is actually maybe more mobile than people think and can throw on the run pretty well. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's possible that we'll see those sorts of, uh, sort of gadgets and gimmicks. This all, Sark continues to remind me of Brian Harson, who would just draw up, you know, seven ways to Sunday to get the most out of his skill group with shifts and packages and all kinds of shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, as Sark said, you know, he'd love to show the media at the open practice all the stuff they've been working on and all the cool concepts. I, I don't doubt that's true. I also think a good half of those concepts were built around Isaiah Nayor being on the field <laughs> with Xavier Worthy. Uh, so the good thing is I think Sark, so there are coaches and there are writers, there are artists, entertainers, whoever, who are warehouses and factories. And what I mean by that is there's coaches who are good at getting some plays that other people have created and they keep it in their warehouse and they have it in, in stock and they can use it. There's other coaches who are factories. They can actually create new concepts. They can actually create new ideas and new things and, and synergize ideas that are out there floating around. I think Sark is a factory guy, not a warehouse guy. And that's a good thing. Um, but I got to say, I, I have a feeling some of the stuff he had sitting in his warehouse that they built in the factory was built on some assumptions about guys who are now injured. So I think he goes back to the drawing board. You know, I, I did write in my article that if there is, I guess, a good thing about this and there is no good thing about it, uh, it happened now. 
it happened August 15th instead of in early September, because having to adjust your offense and adjust your approach mid, you know, earlier mid season would be brutal. Tom Herman is definitely a warehouse guy. Yes. <laughs> he uh, is a factory warehouse. Lincoln Riley is definitely a factory guy. Yes. And I've actually heard that the, I heard this and I couldn't believe it. Uh, this guy was telling me that the way Oklahoma would do it was that fall camp was strictly base concepts. Yes. And he would not get into anything fancy or uh, game planning until the actual season. And I thought, no, surely their fall camp, they're tinkering and doing all kinds of stuff to know. But I mean, from what I heard, his factory could put that out in season. And fall camp was strictly, you know, teach all the base concepts to as many guys as can master it. And then once we have all that in, then we'll uh, start making new inventions out of the interchangeable parts, you know, that I've put on the line. Well, I'm curious, I'm curious which way, if Sarkling's one way or the other. I, I think actually the reason Lincoln Riley was able to do that is because a lot of his innovation, if you actually look at it, is you have the same base concept. You just line, literally you're lining the personnel up in a different place and they're doing something you don't expect. Um, a lot of the success they've had, you know, running the ball, it's just counter gaps, it's counter tray. And then they put these really interesting little spins on it, but it doesn't change anything for the offensive linemen. Um, now they, they might line up at an unbalanced line and you need to know how to do that correctly, but the personnel that need to know how to do that correctly, they get taught that that week and they drill it hard. And it's not that hard to do on game day. Cause it's not like they're introducing five new concepts. They're just yeah. saying, Hey, this is what we always do. Except instead of you lining up here, you're going to go over here. Okay. And the player goes, all right. And then I just do what I usually do. And he's like, yeah. So I think that's what a lot of his 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 genius is, is he can break things down to their fundamental parts. So it doesn't feel like the to the players like this is oh, this brand new world, even though when you look at it globally, the formation's completely different and they're using you're exploiting a different tendency. And you know, that's just that's kind of the genius of of what you know, that's why he's a brilliant offensive mind, you know, no matter how much you hate OU you had to respect it because he was so good at that. Well, it's easier to respect now because uh, it's so amusing now to remark on his genius when the whole state is, uh, you know, just red hot angry with him all the time. Yeah, well, they named four inches of highway leaving Oklahoma after him. <laughs> it's good stuff. You got to love that state, state legislature. But Sark, it's not. I'm not totally sure what what Sark's um, version of that. I think he does some of the same kind of thing, where it's like we're going to run um, the same passing concept, but we're going to do it with this motion this week from this formation. We're going to move this guy. So I think it, it may be similar in that respect. He definitely busted out the unbalanced sets against Tech and just destroyed them last year. Yep. With unbalanced outside zone. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, he's got plenty of time to draw it up. Well, part of the problem with that insofar as it is a problem 
is that when you run out of the wrinkles, well, the offense took took a dive, and we saw that last year, not only in game but over the course of the season, right? I think that's the. Uh, I, I've seen people trying to explain why Cliff Kingsbury's Arizona Cardinals teams collapse in the second half every year, and I'm pretty sure it's the exact same problem. I think it's that in combination with the fact that when you can run a healthy Kyler Murray at the NFL level, it's a cheat code. And as he accumulates hits and he becomes more reluctant to run or just less effective, or you just want to not get him injured for the season, so you do it less, I think their offense also just gets more predictable. So to your point, I think that's what's happening. But I also think Kyler Murray's running is a part of that. Yeah. Speaking of so running, with, with just to give himself that handicap. So, yeah. Well, so speaking of running with with Nayor down, does Texas just get a little more stubborn in the running game? Not only because maybe of the possible loss of the ceiling and in, in the passing game with Nayor gone, but also with some questions about pass protection, pass protection cohesion. Hey. One of the simple answers, football 101 to that, is we're going to run the ball. And we're going to be a little more stubborn running the ball than ordinarily we would be. Um, you know, when they talk about bad offensive lines in the NFL, they don't mean run blocking. They're, to they're only talking about pass blocking, right? So, for example, the Seattle Seahawks have a bad offensive line, but they run the ball pretty well. Uh, they just can't pass protect. Right. So does Texas just get a little more stubborn running the ball? I'm not suggesting three, three yards in a cloud of dust, but are we going to see a little, are, are we going to see more of last year where I, you know, I pointed out that third and nine against Oklahoma state was a running down because they didn't really trust Casey Thompson. Yeah. Um, that's the downside of being stubborn running the ball. But do you see Texas just finding more creative, interesting ways to run the ball to, to try to offset some of the loss in the passing game? Well, so one one area where they could really just build on last year would be to run more RPOs. To do that, um, like you can look at the Baylor game where they ran more RPOs when they realized, uh, oh my God, our tight ends cannot block Jalen Peter. It's actually a detriment for us to put our tight ends on the field because Baylor stays in nickel and then their nickel still shreds our tight ends in the run game. Our 200 pound nickel is destroying 255 pound. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh. I don't know if that's better this year, right? With these tight ends. Uh, Jalen Peters not on the schedule, so that part's better. But um, they have the tight ends to be stubborn and roll out a lot of 12 personnel and just run the ball. Um, I think a better solution would be if they can lean into RPOs more. Um, you lose a little agency, but it seems like with Jordan Whittington and the other guys they've stacked in the slot, Tariq Milton, you should be able to command respect of opposing nickels to hang back and respect the pass and not just load the box. And then you can, you know, then you can run the ball to your heart's content with all these running backs. But generally that's the trick. That's the trick with the spread is that if teams don't want you to be able to run the ball 40, 50 times, they can make you throw it. 
and you have to be able to punish them for it. So they can either be in 12 personnel and say, well, we're just going to run the ball no matter how many guys you put in the box because we have extra blockers. Mm-hmm. Or they can do the RPO deal and say, you know, we are willing to throw 20 screens and quick passes instead of runs um, until we start making you back off and respecting Whittington and, and whoever. You would, I would really think that they could command that respect. You'd really like to think that, but uh, it can get complicated if you really go into RPOs and defense start defenses start playing new games, trying to trick your quarterback into throwing it where he shouldn't. And so, you got to be all in at some point. You know, it's like the option: either you do it a little or you do it a lot. Yeah, there's no Mister In Between. Yeah. You know, if you're a college offense and you've got a mobile quarterback, but you don't want to run him much, you have that one option play that you drill and you don't try to do much else. Where you really get in trouble is where you try to have three different option plays. And like either either be Army or Air Force or have that one little option play that you use to get a cheap eight yards, right? I think this, I think you're exactly right on RPOs. Hey, let, let's go even more basic on RPOs. It's run pass option. Yeah. Can you explain how that's a little different than just what we call traditional play action, which is the quarterback fakes a handoff sort of in a very big way, like, oh, the ball's out. Can you see it? I'm handing it off to this guy. And then he pulls it and then he, you know, looks downfield and throws the ball, right? That's the classic play action, NFL play action. How is an RPO different, even though it is a form of play action, how is an RPO different? Uh, Talk about like the numbers counting, the box, all that kind of stuff. So an RPO is a running play where the quarterback is reading usually just one defender, but it can get more or less complicated based on what your quarterback can do. He reads one defender who's um, out in space covering a receiver. And the quarterback holds the ball and he puts the ball in the running back's belly, potentially, or he's miming like he's going to do that, but he's reading that defender. And he says, okay, if that defender comes into the box to stop the run, we don't have someone to block him. Our offensive line are blocking other people. If he comes in, we're not blocking him. And so he's free to make the play where the running back has to make a miss. But if he comes in, I'm going to have a receiver run into his area of responsibility against the pass. And if I see him diving in to stop the run, I'm going to pull the ball. And instead of running it, I'm going to throw it to that receiver and make him pay. So like the bubble screen is the most basic, obvious RPO. You got the nickel out there on the slot. If he dives in to stop the run, you just throw the ball to the stationary receiver and the other receiver is blocking for him. If the nickel stays out to respect the threat of the pass, then you don't pull the ball and you just let the running back run it. And um, our, that's the that's the basic 101 RPO that can get obviously a lot more complicated, just like, you know, a Nebraska eye option scheme gets more and more complicated with more and more variables. But that's, that's the basic bones of it. Um, so it's like a play action, but it's a play action that the quarterback takes advantage of after the snap if the defense shows that it'll be open. The downside is that you have to make quick decisions because if the line gets downfield and then you throw the ball, you get flagged for ineligible receiver down the field. 
if the quarterback pulls the ball and then he's th- he's going to throw it and then he's like, oh, wait, that's actually covered. Now his offensive line is not protecting him. They're blocking for the running back. So the quarterback is in a world of hurt. Um, and he usually has got to just uh, pull it down and run and do the best he can. So it, it, it puts a lot on your quarterback mentally and it can potentially put a lot on your quarterback physically, taking hits or having to run the ball and plays where you didn't intend him to run the ball. You nailed it. That, that is a great explanation. Um, Cause I sometimes feel like when we talk X's and O's, we always assume a, a baseline level of knowledge and, you know, not everybody gets into the nerdery aspects of football. And that was a great explanation um, to Ian's point and why you need to really just do a little of it or do a lot of it is the timing recognition and execution aspects of it. And Ian nailed the consequences there's also and as with everything in football there's a counter move to the counter move right so what a defense will often do is say oh we're crashing that nickel but simultaneous to that our safety is in a full sprint or a linebacker is in a full sprint drop to that spot that you're going to throw the ball on pattern recognition right on rote memory and we're going to create a turnover, right? The, the counter move to that is you fake the shallow RPO. And as that safety is coming to sprint up or that linebacker is dropping, then someone takes off up the field, right? You almost get it like a stop and go RPO. Or you have a receiver running and filling that space behind the RPO, sprinting up the field. Hopefully that's Xavier worthy. And you get a 70-yard touchdown. So, but... To do that, there's risk because you got to hold the ball long enough, right? And to Ian's point, your offensive line is run blocking. They're not pass blocking. And they're not in trouble if the quarterback holds the ball a step too long and he gets nailed and, and it's a blind, you know, blindside fumble sack. Uh, no one on the offensive line did anything wrong, despite what you might read on the boards or how PFF college might grade it. Uh, so anyway, I... Sark has, has play action that's designed to look like an RPO. Yes. Like the offensive line will fire out like they're run blocking and then stop and then get more into a pass set. And the receivers will run the typical RPO route. Like the, the, the one that was awesome that they ran in Alabama was they would run a slant and go. So it looks like an RPO slant to the slot. And then he plants his, and the safety races down. The safety is like, I'm about to get a, I'm about to get a pick six or a kill shot. And then the, the receiver plants his foot in the ground and just runs up field by the safety and Mac Jones is throwing it over the top. Yeah, before Jalen Waddell's injury, uh, early in the season, Alabama was freaking destroying everyone with Jalen Waddell, who's, al- who's already freakishly quick, right? And they were running that play over and over and just getting massive chunk gains. And it was, it was so easy. And they used to do it with Henry Ruggs, right? Um yeah, it's it. There's layers to this, and as to Ian's larger point, and, and you know, kind of to my point about if if this is going to happen, we needed it to happen now, while there's still time to practice and install some of these things. Our, I think, and I don't want to speak for you, Ian, but I think our bet is we're about to become a more RPO heavy offense. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, he kind of gets to the quarterback thing again. Like uh, Ewers, Ewers actually ran RPOs at South Lake Carroll and was pretty good at it. Yeah. But is, is he ready to play 
those like is he ready to go all in into those waters the card it seems like card was not ready last year but now he's in year two maybe he is 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 viewers ready to be in an offense that's very very heavy on rpos i don't know i maybe maybe not but that that might be another factor that uh determines the quarterback race you know, people are looking for differentiating factors in the quarterback race, and we're already developing sort of a consensus of, oh, yours is a better deep ball guy who opens up the field, and he's willing to take those deep shots. And now Nayor's out, so this favors card because we have to be a more possession, ball control sort of offense. Right. Um, you know, card is good at RPOs. Well, yours is good at RPOs. I mean, I've seen him be good at RPOs. Uh Here's another thing to introduce, and it may not be a traditional way people think about it, but consider in football, there's such a thing as sort of neutral downs for an offense. And then there's favorable downs, right? On, on second and two, there aren't really any bad play calls. Although Greg Davis did have a habit of loving to run the ball inside on sort of like an off-tackle dive on second and two to get three yards and get first down, which... Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I never really loved that because it's sort of a play callers down, right? You can do anything you want, but there are neutral downs first and 10, second and six, second and seven. Um, these are sort of the neutral downs that you spend most of your time in, on offense in. And, you know, my theory is Hudson card may be as good or better than yours in those downs. Because you're more often going to see a base defense. You're more often going to see a conventional look. There's more pre-snap recognition. And you kind of know where you're going to go with the ball. Ewers, on the other hand, I wonder if he is better skilled to deal with third and 10. You know, is, is Hudson Card a guy that when they know you're throwing the ball and you know you're throwing the ball and you put four receivers out there, he drops back five step drop and he's got to make his reads. Is he, is that his skill set? Is that his strength versus a Quinn Ewers who drops back and, and seems to be able to process that. And, and he could frankly, maybe can throw different, different types of balls in different ways that card can't. Um, I'm still working on this theory because it lacks one vital piece of information, which is Quinn Ewers in games. <laughs> so uh, this is all conjecture, but I almost wonder if card is your better standard down quarterback and yours might be your better third and 10 quarterback at this stage in their developments. And this is completely pulled out of my ass thoughts. Yeah, Kathy Newman knew. So what you're saying is what you're saying is you want us to all be lobsters. You want to play, <laughs> you want to play Hudson card on first and second down. That is not what I'm saying. And then put Quinn Ewers in only on third and long. That is not what I'm saying. Let me be clear. Um, yeah, it seems like card has the advantage in actually executing basics and maybe in executing Sark play scripts. Uh, you, you would wonder if Ewers got enough reps, if he would be fine on executing the play script with time once he gets more comfortable with it. Yep. And that card is probably more comfortable with that. And what, what you're asking is, is Ewers the only guy on the team that really gives you a chance to just make a freaking play on third and 10? Is he the guy that, that just rifles in the ball and just makes it happen or escapes pressure uh, and, and 
throws off platform and hits a guy that the other guy wouldn't hit. Is that is this kind of your is this what you're getting at? Yep. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how much more out of my ass could this be given that Quinn Ewers hasn't played it down, right? And and look, let's be honest. The protection Ian, thing is also tricky here too. Well, let's be honest, Ian. That's part of the appeal of Quinn Ewers. The the obvious appeal is that he's a former five star and you see the arm talent, et cetera, et cetera. I, I mean, part of the appeal to the average fan of Quinn Ewers is that he's he's a blank slate. You could project anything you want into him. Whereas Hudson Card has we've already seen him struggle, right? We've seen him play well, but we've also seen him play not well. And so in a way, our tendency as fans is to discard card, right? With yours, he's ever played it down. So you can read anything you want into him. You, you can you can decide the guy's freaking Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and so, you know, we're always sort of chasing the unproven upside rather than thinking that we can improve someone who's already demonstrated their limitations. And the truth is in life, y'all don't take this in panic and freak out, but in life, more often than not, you have to work with what you've got and improve the limited, the limited player, right. And, and grow his skill set. Um, but you know, we don't know how Quinn Ewers could be progressed and what his limitations are in actual, in actual game live action. So it's all very interesting, but it is funny how it plays into fan psychology, right? They're already, you know, they're already pretty lucky if Kelvin Banks proves that he can just start at left tackle from week one. That would be huge. I, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago that there was like, you know, what would actually be the better outcome is if they could get Carrick up to a, to a winning level of play. Cause then you don't have to count on the freshman. Yeah. And uh, you know, it doesn't seem like that's happened. Or, or or Banks is just that much better. Or Kelvin Banks is a freak. Yeah, it's possible. It's I very mean, possible. You know, it is possible. It is in the realm of possibility that in two years, he's a top five NFL draft pick. Somebody sent me a screenshot, though, of one of those Texas uh, fall camp videos, though. And it was like Baron Sorrell pass rushing on Carrick. And it was a, you know, the classic, like, the bully puts his hand yeah. On the kid's forehead. Yeah. Sorrell had his arm in Karak's chest, and then Karak's arm is reaching the other way, and it's about like right there. Yeah. Their side. And uh, Shane Shane Ware sent me the screenshot that he snapped that he snagged off one of the hype videos, and he's like, "And there it is," you know. So. Our, hey, uh, Jay Billis is right. Uh, length is a thing. Um, you know, you hear people in basketball talk about it constantly it, it's also a big thing on the edges particularly um who makes first contact and if you're if you're sufficiently skilled and, and accurate with your hands and you can make first contact and basically big brother the person across from you whether it's the, the defensive end or the tackle you have a massive advantage i mean that was you know i talk about jonathan ogden when you're six foot eight six foot nine strong and you have great hands and coordination and long arms. If if you don't make a mistake, the the edge player can't pass rush you. I mean, that's it. The only edge players that could give him give him problems in the NFL were weirdly built freaks 
who in a weird way were so short, like Dwight Freeney, that they start spinning. So they would he would start spinning like a top so he couldn't use his wingspan on him and get his hands on him in a clean way. And then he'd get into his body and then spin past him like the freaking Tasmanian devil, right? But, you know, there's not a lot of Dwight Freenies out there running around. So, yeah, I mean- What you're well, saying is, forget all that and just start Cam Williams. That's it. That's Thank you. The Kathy Newman logic continues in this interview. That's exactly what I'm saying. You got to start him. Uh, but yeah, you know, speaking of Cam Williams, he's obviously- raw he needs a lot of work on his body he needs work on skill uh people are pretty excited about that dude so i the coolest thing about these freshman offensive linemen is i've heard no feedback of the order of well you know these two guys got into camp and we kind of realized like uh, not quite what we thought in in fact everything i'm hearing is meets expectations or exceeds expectations and that's pretty encouraging there were definitely guys in the past that arrived that the staffs thought this guy, we're going to see this guy quick. And then they arrived on campus and they're like, we're not going to see this guy for a long time. There, uh, I remember. Not, I'm not going to name any names, but. Oh, dating myself. I remember we got a class of beef on the interior defensive line. And we do this all the time at Texas, right? And often they do not pan. Uh, remember Charlie Strong's uh, defensive line recruiting efforts, right? Uh, before him, we had a class with uh, Dearest Cotton and Taylor Bible and all these different guys. I don't know if you remember them, but I showed up to an open practice to check these guys out. And I didn't even need to see them in a game, much less a practice. Uh, I saw them walk out the tunnel and start their drills. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, Taylor Bible had somehow put on like 55 pounds of bad weight between his junior and senior year of high school. And, and as a junior, it was some of the greatest defensive tackle film I've ever seen in my life. And then by the time he arrived at Texas, he'd effectively eaten himself out of college football. It was bizarre. Yeah, I remember that group. I remember before that, they had the issues where they had to play Okafor at tackle. Yep. They had a guy like named Jarvis Humphrey who developed some sort of rare disease that took him out of action. Yeah. And they had, uh, um, yeah, they, they got they got real thin there for a minute, and then they tried to do the class of beef thing and just make a quick fix. And instead, it was like Chris Whaley moving from running back that that helped solve it. Yeah, 100%. Well, listen, we talked about length and we talked about the importance of length on the edge. Here's someone I don't want you to keep at arm's length, and that is Laura Baker. She's a member of the elite Andy Allen team with Keller Williams Realty. Hey, here's a newsflash to all of you in Central Texas. Right now, there's more homes for sale than have been in the last two and a half years. And if you're trying to sell in this market, you need a realtor who understands the current environment. One of our podcast listeners reached out to Laura to sell their home and couldn't be happier that they did. Why? Well, when Laura put their home on the market, there were 15 similar homes for sale in the same neighborhood. And those homes had all been listed for 30 days plus. Laura's clients were under contract for full price within a week. How did that happen? Well, the home got priced correctly and it looked better and was marketed better than any other home in that neighborhood. There are secret sauces to doing this and only the best and most elite realtors know how to do it. Buyers have more options now, 
And if you want buyers to choose your home, you need to call Lara to capitalize on her expertise and her hard work and her ability to strategize with you. Reach out to her at 512-784-0505. That's 512-784-0505. Or you can write her at Lara at andyallenteam.com. Ian, this has been a pleasure. Time flies as always. We got to do this again quickly uh, because there's going to be more info coming out. And, uh, you know, we'll see about a starting quarterback getting named, but I think that's been postponed till probably after the second scrimmage. What do you think? Yeah, I think they're going to, I mean, it kind of sounds like they're going to give, it kind of sounds like they would like for viewers to get it. They're going to give him this week. They're going to just push hard, see what they can figure out. And um, I imagine there's going to be clarity after that, much like there was last year. Yep, I agree the same. Well, hey, we're 18 days out, and uh, we'll have real football to talk about before long. Until then, I'm Paul Wadlington. That's Ian Boyd. Thanks for listening. Support our sponsors. Adios. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. Hey, y'all, just a quick word about the Burnt Orange Bible. That's right. It's the 10th annual Thinking Texas Football College Football Preview. It is the preeminent Texas Longhorn football preview, as well as the Big 12 and all Texas opponents. It's chock full of great information. It's 150 pages of burnt orange goodness. If you haven't bought it yet, shame on you. How dare you be a listener to this podcast and not read the greatest preview ever written about Texas football? Uh, you could buy it at Amazon for the paperback. You can also buy it for e-versions on Apple and Smashwords. Smashwords is an independent publisher, and that's where you should go buy it if you have a Kindle Folks, jump in. You're going to enjoy it. And if you're not sure about it, you got your water, your toe tipped in the water, I should say. You're not sure you want to dive in. Go to Amazon right now. Read the reviews. As of this recording, there's 61. All five stars. Give them a read. Give that preview a read. Let's get ready for the season.